Open your Bibles this morning to John's Gospel again, John chapter 1. By God's grace, we'll finish what we started last week in verse 12. Let's pray. Our gracious God, how how can we know you but to be born again by you and to have you revealed to us by your own will to make yourself known what a miracle that the word became flesh and dwelled among us so that we could be born of God and being born of God hear from God Father, this morning, for those who know Christ as their Savior, we are, all of us like Lazarus, we have heard the voice of God calling us from the grave. And by your great power have been moved from death to life. So, Father, as we reflect upon that this morning, May the words of John in this verse fall sweetly upon our ears. And may we leave here in absolute awe of what you have done to bring about the living from the dead. May we rejoice in the salvation that you have granted to each one of us. We pray this all in Christ's name and for his glory alone. Amen. Let's begin reading this morning back in verse 6 of John chapter 1. There came a man sent from God whose name was John, speaking of the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But... As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, I think at some point, and on some level, Every human being reaches a point when we are made aware of the events surrounding our entrance into this world. We, at a certain age, become self-aware that we have not always existed. And we desire to know from whence we came. We're in that stage in our house right now. I want to see the pictures I want to know who was there. I want to know all the details surrounding my birth and how I came to be part of this family. Every human being is born, I think, at some level with that curiosity, and at some point in your life, you want to know. You want answers to these sorts of questions. Who was involved? What was it like? What was the reaction of my grandparents as they watched their grandchildren wheeled into the nursery for the first time? All of them, of course, looking like their grandfathers, bald-headed and no teeth. What was it like on that day for our family? Isn't it sweet? There's just something about new life. There's just something about infants, about birth, that captivates us. Everything seems to be made right. Everything seems to be new again. 
for everyone involved as they surround that family bringing new life into the world. We love new life. From viral videos of puppies on social media to looking over our children's baby books for the millionth time, it never gets old, does it? Never gets old. It's always a cause for wonder and for musing about those things. If I may, Christian, address you now, spiritually it's no different for us. Spiritually, for the child of God, there is something about the new birth. Something about reflecting on the time that God brought us from the state of the dead into the state of the living. That ought to capture us. And I believe that that every believer at some point in our maturing process, as we grow in faith, as we grow in Christ, we begin to see and we begin to wonder how it is, Lord, that you brought me to this place. How did you bring me out of that state of death? How did you bring me to new life? How did you bring me to faith in Christ? Why me, Lord? How did you do it, Lord? I know my own heart. I know my own resistance to the gospel. I, I know those things. Lord, how did you birth me? How did you bring me to that point? So that we understand and we desire to see the power and the beauty and the meaning in our spiritual birth. What was that moment like? Well, I'm glad you asked because John 1.13 is that moment. John 1.13 answers those questions. It is our spiritual baby book. It has upon its pages the, the, the heel prints and the palm prints of our spiritual life. It, it is by the work of God in this verse that we have passed from death to life, that we have been born again and born anew. Perhaps many of you, perhaps most of you, have read this verse so many times in your life that you've never really stopped to consider what it's saying. Perhaps you haven't considered the birth certificate that is attached to this verse. The name of the one who gave birth. On that birth certificate. Well, brothers and sisters, if you've never stopped to consider it, today is that day because we will consider that. And so, John, continuing the thought from verse 12 regarding those who received him, John now explains how it is that they did come to receive him. The connection of becoming the child of God is key. Notice what he said to those who did receive Him, to those who have become children of God. How do you become a child of God? How do you become a, a, you know, a child of, um, in my case, Pat and Martha Fairchild? How, did, how is it that you came to be a child of your own parents? Well, you were birthed by them. They, they brought forth your life, and so it is here. How is it that we became children of God? It's not vague. Notice, notice the language in the text. It is not vague. It is not, how did you become a person of faith? This isn't 60 minutes. It's not vague, even using the term Christian which can mean so many things to so many people nowadays. It, it says very explicitly that you became a child of God. The, the, the imagery is striking. It's intentional. We are saved, brothers and sisters. We have passed from death to life for this simple reason that we have been birthed. We have become, as John says, children of God. The living God in His life now courses through our veins. As in any procreative relationship and any procreative analogy, the one already in existence is the source of the one 
coming into existence. Let me say it another way. You are not here by your own activity. You are not here because of your own ability. You are here because you are birthed by God. Born again by Him. Birthed by Him. We are God's children by divine, sovereign, spiritually procreative act that God birthed us. And so it is in John 1.13 we have the greater details of that. Now I want you to notice that in these two verses, John is... Again, painting a roadmap for us, and he's already laying the groundwork for John chapter 3, which we all know at least one verse, I think, in that chapter by heart. But he's laying the groundwork for that conversation with Nicodemus about the new birth, in which he will elaborate more upon verse 13. But this morning in verse 13, I want you to see John gives us three possibilities as to our spiritual birth, but only one reality surrounding our birth as God's children. We're not our own physically. We're not our own spiritually. We were birthed into life in both cases. So I want you to notice this morning, in order to accomplish those four things, three possibilities and one reality, John uses four phrases that all begin in the original language in which John wrote this by stating that our spiritual birth is out of something. Out of something. He presents those who are born as having come from only one of these four ways. The first three ways I'm going to give you this morning as they unfold in the text are Negated. In other words, John is saying these ways it is not possible that you came into being spiritually. This is not the reason you were born. This has nothing to do with your spiritual birth. The last, he says, and demonstrates for the entirety of the rest of his gospel is the only possibility for your spiritual life. This alone can explain how you passed from death to life, how you have come to have spiritual vitality in life. And so let's look at the first of the three possibilities. Something that must be considered. Number one is the possibility of inherited salvation. Look what he says. And by the way, who were, as, as we read this in our Bibles, we need to read it this way. Who were born, and then a parenthesis, if you will. It's almost a parenthetical citation type of a thing where where John says you are born and then he goes into a parenthesis and it's not this and it's not this and it's not this and then he comes out of the parenthesis and he says but it is this and so notice the first possibility that he negates is this that you have an inherited salvation literally interpreted it is interpreted who were born out of bloods plural of the mixing of blood, of the, of the mixing of the content of something to create something else, an admixture of something. And as we look at verse 11, it becomes clear that this makes sense because when John speaks of him coming to his own, it speaks of him coming to his own house, to his own people, to his Jewish family. And he says, when he came to them, they did not receive him, they who had all the ingredients, the law, the fathers, the prophets. They had everything. They had the the DNA of Abraham coursing through their veins. Their blood was Abraham's blood. Yet they did not receive him. So that as we are now explaining, then how do you receive him? John says it is not of bloods. It doesn't come from a, a bloodline of people. You've heard it said, and it is worth noting again, that God has no grandchildren. There are no second generation Christians. Everyone 
who comes into the kingdom of God, who passes from death to life, has to themselves be born again. I can't hand salvation to my children. You didn't inherit your salvation from your parents or your grandparents. It is personal faith applied every single time. Everyone must be born again. It cannot be handed down to us. The spiritual birth of those before you does not grant you an advantage into the kingdom of God. As much as we would like to try to see certain things that that give the children of believers uh, some kind of leg up or head start, it's not true. We are all born dead in trespasses and sin. The only advantage is that perhaps in a Christian home, they hear the gospel sooner. But they are in no less need of the gospel than someone who's never heard it. Everyone who comes to Christ must come individually. There is no corporate salvation through a bloodline or anything else. Saving faith, John would have us to know, does not come, brothers and sisters, by human means of procreation and legacy like the Jews thought it would. Rather, it has to come through individual faith that only God can give. And so it is not out of bloods that we are born again. Let me read to you from Paul's writings in Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Listen to Paul elaborate on this same idea. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, speaking of Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe. Do you hear that? Not who are his physical descendants. He would be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. That righteousness might be credited to them. How? By their bloodline? No, by their faith. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also who follow in the steps of the faith of Abraham, our father, which he had while uncircumcised. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be the heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is also no violation. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, meaning Abraham's physical descendants, the Jewish people, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. How? By faith, not by bloodline. As it is written, a father of many nations. That cuts away the idea of being born of a, again, of a, 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 phys- a physical legacy. Because Abraham is the father of many nations. In the presence of him who he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Paul again in Galatians chapter 3. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. Verse 26 of the same chapter, Galatians 3, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Jesus, in confronting the Pharisees in John chapter 8, will get there eventually. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Do you think it's still of blood? Because here we have the descendants of Abraham, the blood relatives of Abraham, who, who 
through whom salvation came by Jesus. And Jesus is saying, it can't be by blood because you want to kill me. And you're Abraham's descendants. He said, I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. Two different people, God and Satan. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. What did he mean by that? Believe. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. Romans 9, 6, Paul again. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. In other words, the Israel of God are those who come by faith. Individually, to Christ, for salvation, so that John can write, your spiritual birth, your passing from death to life, is not because you are Abraham's descendants. Or your parents' descendants, or your grandparents' descendants, or, you know, I don't care, Martin Luther's descendants, or John Calvin's descendants, or William Tyndall's. Name your hero of the faith. You didn't come into the family of God because you're descended from them. You came by faith alone in Christ alone. And so John says, as you look at your new birth, as you reflect upon what brought you into this world in that glorious day, don't think it's because of your DNA. That profits you nothing. It is by faith. We may accurately then eliminate inheritance or our birth as being connected to any part of our salvation. Notice, secondly, the possibility of individual effort. You were born not out of bloods, not out of inheritance, not out of legacy or bloodline, nor were you born of the will of the flesh. The second possibility that John says, well, let's consider this. Is this where this spiritual baby comes from? came from did he come from his own determination to enter into this world now we know on a human level which jesus uses to illustrate the spiritual new birth we know that any physical birth that's ludicrous jesus uses that analogy to communicate to our human minds heavenly truth here's the problem our pride sometimes says, yeah, that doesn't work physically, but it works spiritually. I came to God because I decided I wanted God, because I wanted to be born again. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. And if you did, then you're probably not. Because John says you can't get there. You cannot be born again by your own desires. God has to do that. Humans don't have the capacity or the capability or the desire to be born again because they are dead in their trespasses and sins. Well, it may sound overly simplistic. That analogy holds. What part do you play in your human birth? Nobody ever walked into a hospital, looked through a nursery window, which increasingly they don't have, which is kind of irksome. You know, the baby, I mean, if you're the parents, great and everything the baby's in the room with you but but when you want to go visit you know you, you don't get to go see all the cute little babies but you don't ever look through the nursery window when they have those and say oh my look that one has no parents it just showed up out of thin air there was an empty bassinet there last night we woke up this morning with shift change and boom baby not possible is it Something had to birth that child. Someone had to birth that child. And so John says, listen, it's not because you placed yourself there. It's not the will of your flesh. 
Nothing in the, the fleshly realm can birth that which is spiritual. Jesus says that in chapter 3, verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. But, but the principle is the same. Both have to be accomplished through, through some other means. The only thing inherent to our natural state, brothers and sisters, let us remember this, is death. The only thing inherent in our nature in our will, in our flesh, is death. And death, by definition, cannot itself bring life. Ephesians 2, 1, you were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, we all formerly lived with the lust of our flesh. Not life in our flesh, lust of our flesh. And when lust is conceived, it brings forth what? Death. So it didn't come from your flesh, John says. While our pride, again, at times would wish to maintain the option to be the initiator and the cause and the progenitor of our spiritual birth, even the desire for spiritual birth, John says, didn't happen that way. You may dream that it happened that way. You may want it to have happened that way because of your pride, but it did not happen. Because as I mentioned earlier, Romans 3.11, there is none who understands. Not only could you not, you didn't even understand apart from God. You're so dead, you couldn't even, I mean, it's you know, you're inanimate matter. At that point, you don't even have the capacity to understand what's going on. So our salvation comes to us in spite of even our lack of desire for it. Not because of it. I want you to notice something interesting here. In John's wording, the usage of John here to use that term, the will of the flesh, which we know only contains lust, but where John uses the term flesh here, it's viewed as some commentators, those who've studied this to have a connection to the to the base sexual desires that are inherent in every human being they say well it's got to have something to do with that and while that seems to be outside the context and i believe it is outside the context to interpret it in that way as those types of desires of the flesh what is clear though is that john is referring to the flesh with its deepest and most powerful natural desires. That which is innate, that which is the strongest uh, in humankind, and, and let's face it, when God created mankind, those are the strongest driving desires in humanity and human existence. Those natural God-given desires. And John says, not even desires of that strength can cause you to be born again. And we all know how strong those desires are. And he says, that can't even cause your will to produce the new birth. Not even your strongest, most passionate desires can do that. So the second possibility for our new birth is eliminated. It's not our inheritance. It's not our effort. Not even at our best, at our strongest, can the will of man in his flesh with natural ability provide anything that contributes to the new birth that we must have. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 63, again, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are What's the third possibility? The third possibility is that of extraneous exertion. John next addresses the possibility, well, if it can't be inherited and it can't be earned by my personal efforts, perhaps something from outside, some external force can cause the new birth. The word used narrowly is of a husband who exerts his will upon his wife in a procreative act a strong one, an initiator, one who takes the lead in that role. 
That's the, the picture here. And we may look at this and say the physical world may work this way, but John very clearly says it is not by the will of man. It doesn't come from any powerful external force. And again, this is not implying that this somehow has sexual overtones to it, but it is saying the power of that, the exertion of that, strong relationship, not even anything outside can cause the new birth in that way. Strong personalities do not cause the new birth. hate to break it to Charles Finney and others who have relied upon emotional manipulation and human will and the ability to sell something slickly or scare somebody or to manipulate people into making a decision, that does not cause the new birth. In fact, that confuses the new birth too many times. Only the Spirit of God, that which is born of the Spirit, must come from the Spirit, Jesus says in John 6.63. It doesn't come because man somehow can manipulate or use human tactics to elicit a response at some level. And, oh yeah, that's the new birth. Really? I'm not sure just how far we are in our understanding of the arrogance of that thought. So now you're claiming to be in a position to do something only the Holy Spirit can do? You don't change hearts. You don't give life to the dead. You don't have the ability to open blind eyes. You don't have the ability to create faith within 2 Timothy 2.25. Only God can do that. And how arrogant we are if we think that we can. And that's why I personally have objected to so much of what is passed off as, and I don't think it is at all, but evangelistic training nowadays. It's disgusting. In fact, there's a well-known evangelist that I wrote to a number of years ago about his methodologies to win the lost. If I said his name, you'd know it. He produced a proliferation of tracts that were gimmicks that looked like real money to get people to pick it up and read. One day I decided, Nicole and I were sitting there together. I said, I'm going to look at his website. So I went to his website and it was around Halloween. He says, you know, here's here's an evangelistic tool at Halloween that you can use. And so it said, Fright Site, enter here. So we clicked the, the link and immediately it rerouted us to another domain name that I won't give you the name of because I don't want you searching for it, but it had a pornographic domain name. Silhouettes popping up and, hey, look, enter here, enter here. And I noticed at the bottom, copyright with the name of his ministry. And I said, sir, you are deceiving people. Yeah, but that's how you win them. No, it's not. You don't create the new birth in anyone by manipulative tactics and deceitful practices. And I quoted to him from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore, since we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the hidden things because of shame, not walking in craftiness, adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in the, whose case the God of this world has blinded their minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, meaning our efforts, but we preach Christ Jesus as Lord. And ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. 
For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown into our hearts to give the light of knowledge. Where, Paul? How did it get there? The one who shone into our hearts. Not me. God. To the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen, I have no doubt that there are good, well-meaning people who have adopted any number of ways to try to coerce people into the kingdom of God. I think many of them mean well. I really do. Including the man I wrote to, who, by the way, responded and said, well, if you know a better way, you tell me. I said, just preach the Bible. He said, we're supposed to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I said, you are also a master of out of context. But I think he meant well. I really do. As much as methodologically I detested the approach. But parents, listen. We don't convert our children. We want to, don't we? We love our children. We want to see our children love Jesus and walk with Jesus. But at the end of the day... We're not the converting force in their life. Only the Spirit of God is. That's why we fall upon our knees and we beg God to do what only God can do. And then we labor to bring to bear to them the truth of God that He might use that to birth them into life. But we are not the agents of conversion and new birth No man is not the will of man. Coworker, you cannot by your strong witness, which you should have. It is still not you. By power of persuasion that will win your coworker. That is not saying you don't use your mouth as God calls you to be and do. But it won't be you that wins them. As preachers, it is not our tactics, it's not our abilities to communicate. And we are not the source of life for anyone. I am not. If you're looking for me to bring life to you or your friend or someone else, it's not me. Only the Spirit of God can do that. John says, that's not it. It's not your inheritance. It's not your effort. And it's not extraneous or outside influence bearing down, pushing down, trying to convert. You realize that's what Mormons and Catholics do. It's what Muslims do. They convert by coercion. That's not how the gospel works. Oh, you you realize we could get the numbers. We can get numbers, brothers and sisters. We can get numbers, but only God gets conversion. Only God births. Packing a building is not the same as creating new life. So if we don't inherit it, if we can't will it ourselves, and we can't force it on others, what are we to conclude? Well, the only thing you can conclude from the last three words of this verse but of God. Remember that parenthesis there in the middle. The three negations are in that parenthesis. Where does the sentence really start? Who were born but of God. That's the truth. We were born of God, brothers and sisters. God birthed us. Where did I come from? I'll tell you where he came from. The living God gave you new life. And it's life that cannot be taken away because he can't be taken away. And when God changes, your eternal life will change. But God won't ever change. God is eternal. God is eternally breathing forth life. Your life is in him. Rejoice! Don't go, I don't know if I like that very much. I didn't get a vote. No, rejoice you didn't get a vote because I'll tell you what you would have chosen. Death. 
But God, in His mercy, birthed us. John 3, 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus says, Do not be amazed then that I said to you, You must be born again. You must be birthed again. What birth? Of God. That's what I'm talking about. When Jesus is talking in Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 6 is incredibly revealing. There is no possibility, as these negations in chapter 1 have shown, there is no possibility, Nicodemus, that you can be born any other way. Nicodemus, the law is your flesh. Your genetics are Jewish, but they're worthless. You are the supreme teacher of Israel, and yet you yourself aren't converted. How will you convert other people, Nicodemus? So it obviously doesn't come from man. They didn't even get the job done with you. It must then be of the Spirit. If verse 6 is the first cannon shot, verse 7 is the volley of fire that follows. Jesus says, don't marvel then that I said to you, you must be born again. What Jesus says in 3.7 and at the beginning of chapter 1, verse 13 are identical. They're identical in this way. It's passive. Not to go grammar nerd, but these are both passive verbs. You must be born again. You must have something act upon you. You must have something caused in you. Just like in your physical birth, something acted upon you. Something else did this. You did not do this. You cannot do this. You must be born again. Be born. It matters. The spiritual birth is passive God who births the dead, the unwilling and the unable sinners to life is the only one who then can receive the glory for that. But that's exactly what he does. God gives birth to the dead, the rebellious, the unwilling, those who refuse, those who hate him those who do not seek him, those who punish him, like Paul did, trying to kill the church. God births those people. The church had not been successful, had they, in converting the apostle Paul while he was still Saul. And God says, watch this. On the road to Damascus, to end the witness of the church there, God says, it's time for you to be born, Saul. And Saul was born. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Saul was not on the road to Damascus to find out more about Jesus. He was on the road to Damascus to try to silence the witness about Jesus. And God says, no, it doesn't matter how rebellious, how sinful, how dead you are, I will birth you. I will give new life. Those who received him, chapter 1, verse 12 of John, are those who have been born of God. We have been fathered to life by him. It's akin to the word genealogy, a kinao, a begetting, a birthing of that which follows. So here we are spiritually in the hospital looking through a window looking back through a spiritual baby book how did it happen that day how is it that I came to be where I am how is it that I I I no longer fear death but I've passed to life how'd that happen God did it God did it And in an absolutely righteous way, he beams with the glory of the Father 
who cost it all. And he calls us to join around and to praise and congratulate and honor and worship him from whom life came. Not to sit there and pat the preacher on the back or pat ourselves on the back or pat our parents on the back. To look up and to say it could have only come from you. And it did. And so from you and through you and to you are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And here's the real joy. Here's the real joy. There are, when God is involved, there are no spiritual stillbirths. None. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly never I'll not do it. Your life is certain. There is no risk of loss in the delivery room, spiritually speaking. When God births, there's only life. Let me tell you what happens when man tries to birth. There's death everywhere. Do you ever look at the American church and say, what happened? I don't mean that sarcastically, and I'm not trying to be rude. But do you ever look at the state of the church in America and say, what in the world happened here? It's a bunch of dead men walking. Because they've relied upon tactics to birth themselves, and they're a record number. Why do our children flee the church? Why is church attendance just shattered? Why are people renouncing their faith? Why do the cults grow? Why is Islam spreading like fire? That's what happens when people try to birth themselves. They end up with a stillbirth, spiritually speaking. With no real life there. But when you're born of God, it can't happen. Jesus gives life because the Father birthed us, because we've been born of God, handed to the Son, kept in the Son, preserved in the Son, His life in us for eternity. Brothers and sisters, it's cause to worship. It's cause to hope. It's cause to be assured that if God has birthed us, we will not, cannot be lost. Ever. Perhaps this morning you've never confessed your belief. You're here and you said, this is all so foreign to me. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never trusted Christ. I've never come to the place where I even think my sin's a problem. Then brothers and sisters, pray for those people. Friend, that you might be saying that. Listen, today is the day. Realize you are dead in your trespasses and sin under the judgment of God. You need new life, but only God can give you that life. You must run to Him. You must run to Christ. You must confess your sin. You must believe in His name, in His person, in all that He accomplished for you, living a perfect life for you, dying to absorb God's punishment of your sin in full, and then being raised again from the dead. You must believe in Him. Perhaps you have a brokenness over your sin and you wish to cast your sin away. That's because God is birthing you. You realize I'm a sinner. At the point that we realize, hey, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. I desperately need to be saved. That is because God has just given you the life to see that it's your first breath 
God births. God awakens. God gives understanding. And when we come to Christ, it's not because we did it. It's because God did it. So that He alone receives the glory for all that is done. May we always respond to Him in faith, believing that that is the truth. So that our worship will always be rightly directed, given to the one who births us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for life that you have imparted, that you have given. May we never be so proud or so foolish to think that that life somehow came from within. We are dead in trespasses and sin, dead upon arrival into this world. And apart from you giving life to the dead, granting eyes to see, granting a mind to understand our condition and our need for Christ, we are hopeless. Even our faith is a gift of God, not as a result of our works so that we may not boast, but it's part of your new birth, part of what you do in us and through us, so that you receive the honor and the glory and the praise. So help us to lean on that, to rest in that, to rejoice in that as believers. And Father, if there is one here who has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God who came to give that life, by His death and resurrection. We pray that You would give them life. Cause them to believe. We ask You to do it, Father, because we know we can't. It's not given to our children. It's not earned by self-effort, and certainly it cannot come from the extraneous influence of even the most well-intentioned human beings who try to force it upon you. You have to do this. So we pray and depend wholly and only upon you to do it. And in the end, you alone will be praised for it. We pray this in Christ's name.